0: If you're joining us uh, for the first time, we're in the last message in a four-week series on friendship, so a lot's been said by this point. And uh, we define friendship, just to help you uh, maybe catch up with us, we define friendship as the process of entrusting yourself to someone else within a relationship. That, that is more important to me than who's a friend, uh, is what is Friendship. And in thinking about friendship and friends and that sort of thing i I'll share this uh experience. This is my experience, but probably yours is not too too unlike this, at least in in principle. in college i I around with particularly with two other guys. It was like a um, well, we were trouble at some level. I mean, we didn't break laws, but uh you know a lot of woof, that was close sort of things. I had one friend, and we we sort of balanced one another out, I suppose. It's difficult to know. Like, I don't know what role I played in this. I can only, I only saw them. But one of my buddies was a really thoughtful guy. He was happy to talk. He wanted to talk, you know. Like, to sit down over a cup of coffee is his love language, I guess. He was a partly cloudy individual. There was always something wrong. You know, you could always ask him, what's wrong today? And he was ready. He had his list to tell you what was wrong with today, and it made me happy to know that. Uh, his room was never clean, and he was always cleaning it. His homework was never done, and he was always doing it. Uh, every time we wanted to go out and roll, he had a Mustang, which, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Mustang person. He, he had a nice one, uh, 93 convertible, five-zero, green. It's nice. But, you know, we want to go out, oh, I got to clean my room. And we always, come on, come on, come on, come on. All right, and we'd drag him out. My other friend was the opposite, okay? He was going to bring something flammable to every, every event that we went in. And we were going to blow something up. He bought a, a truck and, you know, we, what are we going to do with this? And he said, "Let's we're going to take it off-roading and see if we can break it and so we did uh both we took it out and broke it we he was just that sort of person he was always about what are we going to do what are we going to see what are we he was he was all fun there was never a rainy day in his life right every girl was his next girlfriend every idea was great that was this guy and the three of us sort of made collectively one fairly decent friendship uh I think if I was forced to be with anyone, I'm sure they could say this about me too, if I was just with one of the two of them, I'd get a little too much of one thing and not enough of another. Like too much coffee, not enough fun, too much fun, not enough relationship. I don't know. And the reason I say that <clears throat> is because rarely is there a friend who embodies all of friendship. Or rarely is there a friend who is the full complement of 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 kind of the perfect match of all of who you are. We have all sorts of friends who play all sorts of roles in our life. We have activity friends and conversation friends and work friends that you you consider friends but you never see them except for work and then you have I'm just saying there's a whole bunch of them and my goal in, in today's sermon or throughout the series is not to indict a kind of friend but to rather elicit the notion of friendship so that in every one of our relationships we can begin to say, is this healthy? Am I contributing in a way that's healthy and pleases the Lord? Uh, does this friendship, is it doing a good thing in my life where it is? That's, that's, that's our hope. And today we're going to look at the process of choosing choosing friendship and how we invest ourselves uh, in others. So with that said, I'm, there's going to be several Proverbs that come up on the screen. Each Sunday we've been starting with some Proverbs. And from here we'll kind of use these to take off and, and head into an account in the Word. But here they are. I'll just read them. Proverbs 12.5 says this. The thoughts of the righteous are just... The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. I'll, I'll maybe rephrase the idea and say this. I think the proverb is suggesting that the advice of people is in keeping with their soul. The advice people give you is in keeping with their soul. In other words, when you're looking for advice and counsel, it's not unimportant as to what their view of God and the universe is. It's pretty important. It's a first thing and not a third thing because counsel is coming out of the soul. Proverbs twelve twenty six: One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, the odd thing about this proverb is they're both guides. (laughs) The impression you get is the righteous is a good guide, but the wicked leads astray. He's still a guide. He's just misguiding. We could say it this way. The ways of the people we surround ourselves with influence us. Whatever, however you're immersing yourself, whatever group of people or however you're sort of marking your perimeter with friendship, those friends are influencing you for the good or for the better. Proverbs 22. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You could say friendship Friendship changes us, right? When we entrust ourselves to them, in some measure, they're doing the same for us, and that exchange creates some sort of friendly assimilation. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the phrase for it, I'm sure there's a scientific phrase for it. You've seen it, you see it in shallow ways. People start to talk the same way. You know, one guy always says rad, it's not too long before his friend's saying rad. Don't do that. I'm just an example. You know, language starts to cross over. Things you watch on TV start to cross over. Interests cross over. A lot of times, that's how friendships begin is through affinities. So you see similarities, and the similarities kind of drilled to deeper similarities. Now, this is all, I, I don't feel like i got to argue these points. This, I think this is just kind of red meat wisdom. Uh, we see this, and many people think this for their children. You, Your heart for your child is that they don't get caught up with bad influences, right? So, you know, uh, somebody grows, and they go to college, and you know, mom and dad kind of, how's it going to go? What choices are they going to make? Right? And we all go through that and, uh, at some point in our lives because we know that... Uh, The people with whom we surround ourselves affect us. And the truth is, it's not just true of children or young people. It's true of people, right? We are, at the end of the day, the children of God. So we never never escape spiritual adolescence. So what we see in children, we're not entirely different from them. We're just different by comparison. Okay, these Proverbs will stay up there for a bit, and they're going to serve sort of as the undergirding for the story we're going to read. And so uh, the story's its own narrative in Scripture, but allow, just remind yourself from time and time again that these are in the background. These are the kind of the truths that are at work in the story you're going to see. And that story is in 1 Kings chapter 12, which, if you use one of the Bibles in the seats, it's page 201. And if you're working to find it in the Bible and you get to Psalms, you've gone too far. Um, Psalms is sort of the big middle of the book. Now we are, we're just dropping in on on the story today. So we have very little context, uh, or I'm not going to be attentive to a lot of the context. I I really want to draw out simply what happens in this moment we are dropping into a fairly big moment in, uh, in the story of the nation of Israel. Okay, this is a pretty tragic page in your Bible where the decisions of a young king, a young new king, have uh, irreparable damage on the nation of Israel. Um, now, God is at work in this. Again, there's a much deeper story. There's been prophecy given and, and God is at work in a lot of this, but Needless to say there's a young man his name is Rehoboam and, and uh, he this is not his best day and that's what we're going to look at. I will say Rehoboam is the son of King Solomon who was the son of King David. If you ever heard the story of David and Goliath, that David had a son Solomon. Solomon is the wisest was the wisest king to ever live. In fact, the proverbs that we just read were likely written by this very same Solomon, so Rehoboam is the son of the author of the screen. It's kind of ironic to think about that. And Rehoboam has just now come into uh, the the throne, so he's a brand new king. Now, in this uh, in this story, there is a Rehoboam and there's a Jeroboam, and, and I get them mixed up. And you probably get them mixed up. So I'm going to call them Ray and Jerry. Just to help us all out. I'm blaming it on you, but it's helping me. So when you see Rehoboam, I'm just going to say Ray. Because uh, it's, a, it's a long word anyway. So here's, I'm going to read the first five verses. Ray went to Shechem. <clears throat> for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jerry, the son of Nabat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. Then Jerry returned to Egypt, from Egypt, excuse me. And they sent and called him, and Jerry, and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Ray, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. It's pretty good so far, huh, I think? Pretty kingly. I like the three-day move. Uh, At this point, you should think pretty well of Ray. Okay, so I'm going to read now, uh, kind of slow it down. So I'm going to probably read the six and seven. Let's just read six and seven. Then... King Ray took counsel with the old men who stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Okay, let's stop there. For one, I want you to notice, uh, it's just said once here, so it may not stick out to you, but... Rehoboam takes counsel with what the Bible calls the old men, okay, the elder men. Okay, hold on to that because you're going to hear it again and again. Okay, um, but Rehoboam goes to the counselors of his father. Now think about this: these, this was the council that advised the wisest king in the history of mankind. That's special. That's t-shirt worthy. In my if I was on that council, I would have to. I, I advise Solomon, shirt and who does that? In fact, when you read through the Proverbs and it says, Wise is the man who seeks counsel, Solomon, at some level, is writing about these guys. Okay, so that's who Rehoboam is going to, he's going to the wise counsel of the wise king. Now, I know Solomon didn't end well. I know he died a fool in a lot of ways because his heart left the Lord. But nonetheless, uh, the Lord gifted him with a wisdom that we've been blessed with in Scripture. And and Rehoboam was going to these wise counselors. And the counsel they give, albeit we're from a great distance from the story, but it sounds pretty good. They say to him, hey, be a good listener. Respect those who came to you, show them some sort of deference, and you will, in doing so, endear yourself to them and they'll serve you it's, it's stable right good stable counsel that's that's what you're getting there so so far, it sounds pretty good let me let me pick up in verse eight. <clears throat> Remember the old. uh, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Okay, let's stop there. It says he abandoned the counsel of the old men. So so the, the writer of the story is very careful about the order here. This is not what happened. He didn't go to the old men and say, what do you think? And they said, we think this, that, and the other. And he went, hmm. And then he didn't, then he went to the young men and said, well, what do you think? And they said, well, we think this. And then he didn't go, I'm going to choose the young. He didn't do that. Okay, that's not how the story's being told. He went to the old men and they said, this is what we think you should do. And he went, nah. And he abandons them. His decision to abandon is not done in consideration of other advice. It's done like, you didn't tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to go find what I want to hear and do that. That's what's happening here. He's not weighing counsel. He's abandoning counsel. And he's going to hear what it is he wants to hear. And where does he go to find that? His friends. Okay, because we all know friends are on your side. Right? Let me read 9 through 11. And he said to them, to his young friends, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Okay, we hardly need to guess whether that's good counsel or bad. What's worth noting is that Ray says exactly this to the people. Look at 12. So Jerry and all the people came to Ray on the third day, as the king said, Come again to me on the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke very heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Okay, that's, that's enough to give the idea. So some thoughts real quick. One, we're talking about friendship, and what I mean by that is, <clears throat> I'm not that interested in the word friend, because I don't know what you think when I say the word friend. So I would like to talk about the idea of friendship, and allow you to see the heart of friendship being expressed in possibly some special ways here, okay, as, as we kind of work through and the first one is, I'd like us to look at the role that age plays in this account. Now, this is not a teaching, it's a story. I don't think it's teaching that all young whippersnapper men are fools, though that might be true, okay? It is certainly showing the folly of Rehoboam in abandoning wise counsel from elder men, elder people. And I think that, there's right, again, there's... This isn't a big leap to say that we all associate wisdom with age. As people age, they very often grow wiser. And what you see here is that Rehoboam went went among the wise, and apparently, and I, I don't know this to be the case, but these are the sorts of things that could very well have been at work, is that when Rehoboam saw the old men, he saw his father's people, not his people, right? We, I'm young enough to understand how that feels, right? To look up and go, well, that's, that's that generation, not my generation. So he looks up and sees his father's people, and there's, this, there's no relationship there, so that nothing, what they have to say has no chance of getting in. Whereas he goes to the council of his peers, and by the mere fact that they are his people, gain access I mean, I think we have to all know how that works. Take a second in your own life and and reflect. Do you, have you done any meaningful work of sharing your life, remember friendships and trusting your life, of entrusting your life in some measure with someone older? Or are you sort of living in the land of your peers? I, I'm i not saying they have to be your friend, okay? Let's, let friend go and talk about friendship. Do you have some connective bridge with the generation that has already done what you're trying to do? Because something, something happens when you've been there and done that. You're a little more stable. You're steady. You're patient. You have a larger view of things. You have the longer game in mind. That's, that is the gift that comes with age and time. Are you through just inattention... In the way you invest your life, are you missing that that opportunity where you, you have no, no bridge that can really hold the weight of the advice that you need to hear? You know, it's the sort of thing that sometimes you need to hear things you don't want to hear. Have you done the work with enough so that that person is respected enough in your life and that, that causeway for honesty is legitimate enough in your life that you can receive counsel? In our culture, we are so isolated and so private that we can cre- We have created an environment of, um, where our lives are spent almost entirely with peers. And we should know that's not how it's, it's always been. It's not how it is in most of the world and certainly not how it was in the Bible, right? The, the, the picture of the village... In the village, you know, you sort of walked out of your door and your uncle was there. What are you doing? Right? You had your uncles and your aunts and your, your mother-in-laws. It was very fiddler on the roofish. It was very in your chili. It was very, well, you know, I mean, you were not straying that far away from the connections of the extended family or from the village elders. People had the right to speak in. They had the right because it was their right. So it was difficult for you, I mean, to get entirely away. here in our culture, we isolate and then self-select who's in. And we self-select almost entirely by affinity. So you're inviting people, just by nature, if you're at all like me, we invite people in who are already like us, which means when we need to hear counsel that goes against who we are, they're probably not going to be the ones to say it. but you kind of cross the speed bump of life and you get to someone who views things a little differently. We use a word for it in our culture. We use the word mentor. That word was invented because this is almost an entirely artificial construct in our culture today, to go to someone senior. (laughs) It's ironic to me that we had to invent a word for it. Because, in most of our lives, if we're working with somebody who's older, they're our boss. I'll give you some examples uh this past week, I had a low spot. It was kind of spiritually low and in that this very same week um i I visited with both of my dads and my father and my father in law I'm close to both of them they're in i I'm maybe a slightly unique specimen because I sort of have a village life. Both families live very close to me. I see both families weekly. But in both occasions, in retrospect looking back on this week, I marveled that both of my fathers when I was low spoke words of wisdom to me. And the words were, settle down, God's good, patient, things that you just don't, I don't hear, but from people who are older and wiser. Have you invested in your life to have that voice spoken to you? And I will say, while I still feel young, I will say I am certain that there's benefit to the older community to hear viewpoints from the younger com- community. I- I'll give you a, one example here. One, uh, uh, Two gentlemen brought me out, two older gentlemen in the church brought me out to breakfast one morning and they wanted to know about tattoos. And you should know this if you're a young person. Young people, their bodies are billboards. And it's like what am I going to say this week? I'll write it. That's not how it was in the older generation. Only hooligans got tattoos. It- can I get an old amen or something? Yeah, yeah. And, and so listen, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying here were two older gentlemen who have enough respect to say we don't get something because it's, and we got to talk. I, I was kind of an interpreter saying, well, it's normative now. It's not an act of rebellion. In your age, it would have been an act of rebellion in the face of your parents. You were a rebel without a cause, and you're going to tell them that. In this age, it is not an act of rebellion. It's an act of artwork and expression. Now, there's a lot of things we could say, but that's the major difference. It's a normative act of the culture. So, there's a, for the older, you, I do think there's equal benefit to visiting with the younger culture because it's their culture that is normative. So, when you connect relationally with them, you calibrate yourselves to the prevailing culture. Versus hiding away, wondering why everybody's going to hell. Right? <laughs> Calibrate yourself. There's wonderful people that just, the norms are shifting. If you do that, then you continue to be able to speak. Likewise, if you're young, consider investing some of your relational energy vertically. One last story, and we'll go to the next thought. Uh, my first, <clears throat> first couple years here, might have been my very first year here, I was at a men's breakfast. We do men's, well, probably in our fellowship, the biggest cross, uh, cross-generational occasions are our men's and women's functions. So I was at a men's breakfast, sitting right over there, and I was with several other gentlemen, and we were getting profound. We were getting an on. Uh, we were so, and we were like 32, so we knew it, Right? <laughs> And so we were solving the world's problems and saying all these profundities about we just want our lives to mean something and we want to do something with purpose. And along by, uh, walks along, one of our uh, mature members, John Schoff, he walks by and he gets caught halfway in step. He actually leaned. He did this as he walked by. I remember it. He had his plate of food and he leaned like, what did I just hear? And we're talking and he kind of looks in on our conversation and, and he scoffs us. He goes, It's just a midlife crisis. And he kept walking. It was the shortest counseling session I have ever seen. And it insulted me and fixed me in the same moment. Like, here, I'm the associate. I'm the 31-year-old associate pastor. What is he? He was dead on right. I mean, just, and it kind of like rang our bell. We were like, oh, huh. There it is. That's what is living up there, young people. It's there. You honor them. And in this church, there are many to be honored. Don't forsake it. Okay, to a deeper truth. Rehoboam goes where he knows he'll get the answer he wants. This is a squirrely truth about friendship. Be careful how you build your friendships because when you want a certain answer, you know where to go. There's a truth that when our heart gets a little bit hard, when we have an idea in our heart that's just breaking forth that really should have no right, you, you should pull that thing up and burn it in the fire. But nonetheless, in our heart, where there's an idea starting to kind of break through the ground and give life, if you, want, if you have not been thoughtful about the way you build friendships around your life, you'll go to somebody who will help that grow. Under the guise of wise counsel. I've seen this many, many times. In the church, I've seen somebody doing the merry-go-round of counsel. They're coming to me sometimes to check the box. But I already feel abandoned when they walk in the room because they're really on the way to their friends. I'm just the rest stop on the way. And they're here to say, Well, what do you think? But I can tell I'm in this moment, I'm the old man, and I'm my guy. And, right, and my concern is nothing other than, or, or you might say, uh, one friend's concern could be for nothing other than their well being and, and their health. And yet that plant is breaking forth, and they, they know where they can go to have it watered. That's what Rehoboam's doing. Rehoboam has an idea, and he's going to go where he needs to go to get affirmation. And he knows exactly where to go because he grew up with these guys. They are his boys. You know, that's, they're, they're his people. They're, that, that's what it is. It even says it. it. He abandoned, verse 8, he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young men, doesn't just stop there, who had grown up with him and stood before him. There is people. Who are your people? Remember, when we give counsel, counsel comes from the soul. Your people. What is the disposition of their soul? I had a friend in college. He was a remarkable gentleman, uh, a very able. Just on the, in the category of like what a guy should be, he scored high. Sort of across the board. His fatal flaw was. He was even better when he was drunk, which is a curse. You know, there are mean drunks and sad drunks and sleepy drunks. Then there are high performing superstar drunks. So, what do you think his friends wanted every Friday? They wanted him to be drunk. He's an alcoholic. You know, how do you surround yourself? The people you surround yourself, are they celebrating when you're at your best and when you hope for the most and when God is leaping in you? Or are they waiting until your mediocre times, right? Think of your friendships. How are they feeding off of you? And choose wisely, because a day is going to come where an idea is taken root in you and it wants to be watered. And in that day, when, you're, when you are least reliable, and we all know we have these least reliable moments, when you're least reliable, if you have not built a fairly airtight circle of friends, an inescapable circle of friends that are all going to call you out, you're going to go find a place to get that watered. And All the while, it'll be beneath beneath the guise of counsel. I mean, Rehoboam can say, I did go get counsel, can't he? But God knows what he did. God knows Reh went to the place he wanted to go to get the answer he wanted to hear. So in in this care... Here's questions uh, that come to my mind. One is, well, how do I regulate my friendships? How am I careful about my friendships? I think the first thing I would suggest, just at a very practical level, is people typically form friends in the place they spend all their time. So where do you spend all your time? And if you want friends that are over there, you should spend time there. And if you want to be careful about everything that happens here, you should spend less time here. I don't mean the church, I mean in your life. It's very difficult to have meaningful godly relationships among a people you never see. Likewise, it's impractical and it's naive to think that you are going to weather the storm without altering your lifestyle. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this leads to uh, maybe d- uncomfortable questions. Does this mean I can't have friends with non people who aren't Christian? You know, that's set against the notion that Jesus was a friend to sinners and tax collectors, right? There is uh, there's a place for wisdom here. Uh, if you're in Christ, your friendship should be a missionary act at all times, right? The way we're friends are a way that we convey the love of Jesus. Jesus was, I was one of the sinners and tax collectors that Jesus befriended. So I, we, the world is dependent, the world is dependent on genuine Christ-like felicity to exhibit itself through friendship. But God cautions us not to go make friends so that we can feed from them in the sense of you can go give friendship without receiving it in the same measure. Christ is our friend and we give it away. And it's when in your spirit your your heart is so needful that you need the friendships of other people in such extreme measure that you get yourself in trouble. So this is an area of care and I, I don't have an easy answer for that except to say, look at your life right now. How have you surrounded it? is it is it surrounded for godly growth on your just imagine on your <laughs> your worst day will those friends give you the right counsel in that very careful moment that moment that could have huge consequences Let's pray. Lord, you, your friendship with us does encourage us. It encourages us uh, in the sense that you've not forgotten us, that you love us, that even to this day, you, it's your heart to become uh, friends of man. And I pray that, Lord. I pray that we we as Christians would be able, in a really honest way, to exhibit the best side of friendship that would make people who haven't grown comfortable with your name curious and after curious uh, attracted to and finally Lord make them followers of you. And Lord I pray for a circumspect spirit in our fellowship that we would look around our lives be confronted with Maybe the fact that we've isolated or insulated ourselves uh, with our peers. Maybe the fact that we've been a little unwise in some of the friendships that we've continued to work uh, towards even though it's having a, a sinful effect in our life. Lord, I pray in, in our church too no one would be left alone. So, Lord, give us, give us the energy, the genuine energy to be, give friendship and be better friends to, to our own church fellowship so that we are encouraged in your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name.